So if I have counted right, we have now spent 10 weeks journeying through the book of Exodus. That's a few weeks more than what it has taken the Israelites getting from Egypt to where they are now in Sinai. During this time, we've heard that they've experienced how God's been their guide, guiding them through the, the day as a pillar of, of cloud and in the night the pillar of fire how he has provided for them turned the bitter water sweet provided food in the form of quail and manna and again water coming from the rock during this time they've also experienced how god's been their defense in a in a short time of war showing them how he is their banner of victory in so many ways, in such a short time, they've experienced him being their guide, their provider, and their protector. And today we meet them there at the, the, the foot of Mount Sinai as, as Moses is coming down, and we hear God speaking to the people, giving them the Ten Commandments. A list of commandments that you might know or not know by heart, but a list that I, I think for most of us at least will be fairly, um, fairly, fairly uh, recognizable. And uh, although we will um, speak about a few of these commandments today, I want to say a little bit about the commandments in Maine before we go into the verses for this talk. And first, I purposely started this talk by mentioning all that God has done for, for the Israelites since they left Egypt, because uh, this is where God starts. In Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2, we hear him saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And with that simple sentence, all that I mentioned, and I believe much more, will have come to their minds. God starts here saying, remember all that I have done for you. And in light of that, here are 10 commandments that you shall keep. Commandments, you see, they follow a life with God and not the opposite way around. Commandments are not and can never be a way for us to enter into relationship with God. No, God through Jesus rescues us into a relationship with him. And because of this, because of our relationship with him, we are to keep these commandments. That is the beautiful reality of life with God. Grace always comes first. Grace, the grace of God establishes the law of God. So as we look at these commandments, remember that uh, love is the foundation of all that God does. It's, it's simply the way he, he does things. It's who he is. He is love. So just as these commandments shows us how to love God and love others, they are also an expression of his love to us as all all protective rules that loving parents put in place for their children really are an expression of their love for them. And knowing that, we see that these commandments really also are for our good. And keeping them becomes a, a keen experiencing the fullness of the life that he has for us. And we will start with the three first commandments today, three commandments that we will see is all about 
how we worship God. And uh, first thing first, this is where, what God starts with. You shall have no other God before me. And with that, God makes sure to lay the foundation. You see, if this isn't in place first, all the other commandments in one way becomes meaningless. If we don't first submit to his authority, we, we won't really care about his standard of morality either. And if we break any of the other 10 commandments, in one sense, we have broken this commandment first. But how can God demand that we worship him and him alone? Isn't it people's choice who they worship? How can God demand exclusivity like that? Well, the simple answer is that there is no other God than him. Listen to what God tells us through his prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There is no other God but our God. There is only one creator. Apart from him, there is no one. He is not one among many gods. He is not a Lord. He is the Lord. He is the only true God, the creator and sustainer of all. The Israelites, they had lived among the Egypt, Egyptians who worshipped many false gods and they'd seen this worship practice in all the temples and God now had to make it very clear for, for them that he is the only true God. We live in a similar situation, don't we? There are lots of options of faith around us, lots of spiritualities. The other day I had a, a girl telling me that, that she, although she's not a Christian, she loves my God and she hoped I love her God too. But no, I'm sorry, no matter how, how nice that might so sound, and I don't mean to offend you, but, but no, I don't. How can I, how could I ever love another God when, when there is only one true God and we are to worship and serve him and him alone? There is a passionate little word that God mentions uh, a few times throughout the Bible, often in connection with this, uh, these commandments, and it's the word jealous. We hear him speaking this word in connection with this very command a few chapters later in Exodus 34, where he says, you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. I love this word jealous and I don't know if I can properly explain it because it's just all these emotions in me and it's really not that I like jealousy. No, not at all. Jealousy can be awful, but not the kind of jealousy that God is speaking about. God's jealousy is passionate and it's passionate for our love as he loves us passionately. He is passionate for our worship. Worship is an all or nothing thing. Either we worship God or we don't. He is not to share our worship with anything else. We've talked about it earlier, haven't we? How we are all created to worship. It's, it's how we are made. So if we don't worship God, we will find something else to put in his place. Might that be our career, a position of, of power, of influence, or, or drugs, alcohol, any other form of 
addiction, money, sex, religion, technology, leisure time, video games. If we don't worship God, we will make something else the ultimate thing that we run after. It's simply how we are hardwired. And as a loving God, God uh, as a loving father and loving God, God knows that only by worshiping him will we experience the fullness of the life that we are created for. And that worshiping anything else ultimately will lead to our destruction. So yes, God is jealous for our worship, for his own glory's sake, but also for our good. Nothing and no one else can fulfill us. And we move on to the second command. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And again, we meet the word jealous. And this time, as we will see, God is jealous for the fullness of who he is, the truth of himself. When, uh, when uh, uh, God first uh, gave the first commandment, we see that he, he makes it very clear that he is the only God. So in that sense, all other gods have been ruled out, which, which implies that this commandment isn't actually about worshipping other gods, as it might seem like at the first look of it. No, it's about how we worship our God. In, uh, in some weeks, we will hear the story of how, how the Israelites got, or made themselves or got Aaron to make for them a golden calf to worship. And as we will see, it's not that they wanted to make themselves a new God to worship. No, they wanted to make an image of the God they were following, the one that had led them out of Egypt. But they wanted something that they could see and touch. And God isn't very happy about this. No, already they had broken this second command. Do not make yourself an image to worship. There is a moment in the book of Deuteronomy when Moses is reminding the people about this time when God gave them the commandment. And he says, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. It is said that an image leaves out as much as it reveals. When God revealed himself to Israel, he didn't appear in any form. No, his essence is invisible, awesome, majestic, transcendent, and no form can contain God. No, instead of appearing in a form, God spoke. You see, when we try to make an image of God, we've already limited him, trying to box in and fix to an image the unlimited God. A little while ago, I witnessed a girl giving an angel amulet to her friend, saying that he could hold on to this one while he was praying, and then hopefully this would, um, would help him getting the answer that he wanted. To her defense, she's not a Christian, and she gave him this amulet in good faith. She bought it at some kind of a religious place, and she understood that it somehow had spiritual powers. To his credit, he 
told her in a polite way that, that if he received this, this angel as a gift, it wouldn't mean anything to him apart from being a nice glass object and that he would never use it in this way and that if he would, it would be sin to him. But sadly, the truth is that people do put their faith and trust in things like this, in amulets and images that somehow is supposed to have a spiritual significance. Anything that we make that somehow is supposed to contain a part of God is an offense to who he is. How could anything that we humans make possibly contain even the smallest part of who he is, whom, for the, whom the whole earth is simply his footstool? It's important to say that uh, this command isn't condemning religious art. No, art is okay. Art can be good. We see that throughout the Bible, how God is using the, the language of imagery and um, helping us to, you know, understand a part of his character. And, and in that way, art can point toward people towards God. No, what this command is about is our attempts to box in God's essence into something that we can see and touch. If I hold on to a, a cross and somehow thinks that this cross will help me connect with God as if, as if it holds a part of who he is, then I have already broken this commandment. Anytime we make a kind of a, a box like that, in, in, in an object or image, even in our mind that we think contain God's, it's an offense to him because he is so much greater and so much bigger than anything we could ever imagine. I have a dear friend who is not a Christian. I've known him for years and we've had lots of conversations about faith. He believes in God or at least that there is a spiritual reality and, and this intrigues him. But he says he's afraid of coming to a conclusion as the art of discovery fascinates him and he's afraid that if he if he kind of lands on the truth this this discovering will end i have uh, tried to explain to him how far from reality this is how yes jesus is the only way to god so the 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 door in that sense is is narrow but once you walk through that door you walk into a, a field that is so vast that it will take you the eternity to walk through it I know who God is, but still it will take me the, the eternity and then even more to know the fullness of who he is. God is holy, awesome, majestic, and he's passionate, even jealous about the fullness of who he is. He refuses to let us limit him to something that we can see and touch for his own glory's sake. Yes, but also for our good. My friend has got one thing right. The journey of discovering who God is, is the most thrilling adventure on earth. God refuses to let us box him in. Life is meant to be a journey of discovering more and more of the beauty and majesty and wonder of who he is. And we're moving on to the third and for us today, final commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do you remember having heard a mention of his name earlier in this talk? When quoting from Exodus 34, we heard God talking about himself, saying, for the Lord whose name is jealous. We've seen in the first two commandments how God is jealous for our worship. You shall have no other gods than me. He's jealous for the right expression of who he is. Don't ever limit me to an image that you can make. And here, I believe we see him being jealous for his own reputation. What is a name? If I say the names Adolf Hitler and Martin Luther King to you, what do you think of? You don't think about the names in itself, do you? It's not as if they are neutral, as if like, Adolf Hitler, yeah, that's, that's quite a nice name. Or Martin Luther King, no, I don't like the sound of that name. No, you don't think that, do you? No, these names, they bring up completely opposite emotions because they make you think of the people behind the names, the people that these names represent. That is what a name is, you see. It's a person's reputation. And that is what this command is about. God's reputation. In vain is a word that means futile, worthless, empty, pointless. And God tells us, do not take my name in vain. Don't speak God's name in a way that empties it of its significance. Don't treat his name as if it has no value. Don't speak about him flippantly or throw away his name as in, oh God or Jesus Christ. And don't give false promises in his name either. I swear to God that I will do that. Don't do that. Don't empty his name of its honor. But this command isn't just about not to swear the way we use his name. It's about that, but it's also more. The word take here literally means to carry. So what God says is that you shall, uh, you shall, you shall not carry my name in vain. And how do we carry his name? Colossians 3.17 tells us, And whatever you do, whatever in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How we carry his name is in our words, yes, but it's also in our life. What we do, do it all in the name of Jesus. To be a Christian is to carry his name in this world. I mean, it's it's kind of a given, isn't it? We're literally carrying the name Christ in being a Christian. When people see us, they see a representation of who God is. If you like it or not, if you call yourself a Christian, you are carrying his name to the people around you, to the world around you. The way that you live, the way that you treat others, the words that you speak, the way that you re react in situations, your lifestyle, it represents for them who he is. When we live a life that honors his name, when we help people see who he is, people will be drawn to him as his name truly is the most attractive name on earth. I had an incredible experience of God's jealousy for his glory last summer. For years, I've been, I've been struggling with this weird kind of allergy called birch, uh, oral birch allergy. And um, 
as it started coming on about 12 years ago, I, you know, I received prayer, I, I prayed myself for healing, but for years I continued reacting on all, on all kinds of raw fruits, berries, vegetables, and nuts. And then early spring last year, I... Uh, I, I ate some fresh strawberries in a cake, and I, I realized I didn't react on them. So uh, slowly I started to, to eat, eat more things that I hadn't been able to eat for years, and, and I realized I was free of my allergies. And I didn't know when it happened or how it happened, but it happened. So when people would ask me, ask me how, how come I, now, I was now eating strawberries and all the rest of it that I knew I, I couldn't eat, I said, I, I don't know, I don't know, maybe God healed me, maybe I, my body just changed somehow, I grew out of it, I don't know. <laughs> then uh, last summer, I was at this youth festival, New Day for those of you that might know it, and uh, during one of the last evening services there, we were in worship, thousands of youth around me, uh, praising God, singing out their worship, and suddenly this enormous allergic attack came on me, and it was the strongest allergic reaction I'd had for years, and, and it came out of nowhere, and I was literally on the ground, coughing and struggling to breathe, thinking I had to make my, my way back to the tent somehow and get some antihistamines that I was still carrying with me, when suddenly it was gone like this, just as quick as it came on. And I stood back up again, and in the moment I stood up, the preacher of the, for the night came up on stage, and, and he said, tonight is all about healing. And there and then I knew that God had brought on this enormous allergic reaction to get my mind onto my allergies, for then take it away just as quickly as it came on, to speak to me oh so clearly, saying, it is I who healed you and nothing else. And I was hit with this enormous sense of awe for, for God. God is mighty, God is awesome, and he is not to share his glory with anything or anything else. He was not gonna allow me not to give him the glory for what he had done in my life. And now when anyone asks me, what happened to my allergies, I am quick at saying, God healed me. I don't know when, but I know it was God who healed me. And the healing of my allergies have now become a testimony that proclaims his glory for his glory, but also that points people towards him. God is jealous for his reputation, for his own glory's sake, but also for the sake of this world. When his name is being proclaimed as it should, people will see it and they will be drawn to him. So yes, our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for our worship. And these, the three first commandments, is all about how we worship him. And no wonder God starts there. As we've already heard how God told Pharaoh to, to let his people go so that they could worship him. God brought his people, Israel, out of Egypt and set them apart to worship him. And here in the three first commandments, he lays down the foundation for what this worship is like. It's uh, only him. It's on his terms. 
and it is for his glory. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he starts by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Before he adds on another one, you shall love your neighbors as yourself, which we will talk more about in the weeks ahead. But this, this famous words from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, I believe in a beautiful way summarizes uh, these three first commandments. The first, to love him with all our heart, no other gods than him. He is the only one for him to have all our devotion, our first love, our heart. The second, to love him with all our soul, never to put any limit to him, not limiting him to an image that we might carry, but to love him with the depth of our soul, the limitless God. And thirdly, to love him with all our strength, to carry his name in such a way that the world around us will see the awesome reputation our God ought to have in everyone's mind. To carry him in the way we live, with all our strength, with all our life, to the glory of his name. And when we remember what Jesus has done for us, how he has rescued us from the slavery to sin and death, how he, by his own blood, has set us free and brought us into a relationship with him. How he truly is our guide, our provider and our protector. How he is our most intimate friend. How can we not worship him with all that we are? And God, my Father, my Lord, my Saviour, my very best friend, I just want to, I simply want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you are and for all that you've done for me. And Father, I pray that you will make my life into a worship of you. Father, in this, this moment, I dedicate myself to you and I say, God, I want to worship you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all that I am. And God, I pray that you will take my life and make it a worship to you. Amen.